Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. One hour left on this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. Happy to be back to kick off our new year. Mitch Varelis and Steve Zinsmeister and Trevor Henry, of course. I wonder how focused Trevor is right now, though, because he's... uh, He's only a few hours, well, a couple of days away from probably the most important day of his life next to his marriage, right? Can, is that Absolutely. <laughs> Go Washington! <laughs> Depending on what happens on Monday, I'm going to be unbearable. I'm just going to let you know that. We get it. You're a Michigan fan. You know what's funny, too? We don't blame you for it. It's like Trevor is going to obviously have his immediate reaction to the game whenever it happens on oh, Monday. Yeah. He's a big Michigan fan. But then we won't hear about it for another five days. Hopefully. So, Trevor, you're going to have to bottle up that reaction, whatever it is, and then just let it loose next Saturday, all right? You got it. Okay, perfect. So so when you're upset and you're screaming, just careful with the obscenities. I hate Michigan. I might call out sick if that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a fun game, though. Michigan and Washington on Monday night in uh, Houston, Texas. Michael Penix Jr. Is it a junior? I think he's junior, right? Michael Penix Jr. is so good. I mean, Michigan's got some good players, too, I guess, Trev. But uh, (laughs) I like Blake Corum, you know? Michael Penix has been so incredibly statistically good against everybody except ASU. It makes no sense. That's the last team that he it lost to. It makes no sense whatsoever. You know what's funny? I saw a tweet from Ashley Adamson, who works for the Pac-12, and she mentioned that Ladarius Henderson, former ASU offensive lineman, he's on Michigan. And you wonder if he's going to be the piece that leads to Michael Penix's first loss since ASU. So many weird ASU ties right? all of a sudden. I know. Jaden Daniels won the Heisman. It's it's like come on. It's like wow, really? ASU used to have a good team or something. It's, it's it's almost like they knew what they were doing a little bit. It's like they put something together and when they, they were cheating. And then they, <laughs> you know. And then they unnecessarily cheated. That's not what we're talking about here, but of course we're excited about the upcoming Monday. We're also excited about the Suns' recent yeah. stretch of play. They've won 5 of their last 6 games after only winning 3 in like their last 12. It's a it's a really weird stretch. And the Suns are now up to 8th currently in the West. They have a plus 1.8 scoring differential, which, eh, it's, it's okay. It used to be 0.0 for a period, so much improved there. So they're now ahead of the Rockets, the Warriors, and the Lakers. You're the 8 seed? 8 seed. Doesn't the 8 seed play in that stupid in play-in, play-in tournament? tournament? Yes. Which, right now, uh, fine, whatever. Just I don't love that. I know it. we're only halfway through the year, so... Yeah, they got time. It's plenty of time, but still. But that's kind of what we're here to talk about is now we're trying to stack up the Suns as it stands right now here on January 6th. The Suns are the eighth seed. They have 19 wins. The leader in the West of Minnesota has 25 wins already this year, Steve. How do the Suns stack up with the rest of the West? Are you are you looking at the standings right now? Like yeah, I okay. It's bizarre to see that the Suns, Lakers, and Warriors combined. I think they would be a five hundred ball club. Yeah, if you combined all the records, the Suns, the Wizards. Sorry, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Lakers. Those are three teams that we all kind of assumed would be pretty good. I I mean, it gets assumed, and still year, could right? be by the end of the season. They could be. Lakers are in a but that's very, a 500 team right now if you combine all three of them. Lakers are in a very very cold spell. They've lost four in a row now after a loss to Memphis last night. Memphis, by the way, I don't know if we should be playing the watch out for them game, but since Jaw's been back, they've only lost two games out of the seven or eight that he's played. Yeah, six and so four in their last ten makes a big difference. Uh, they're but they're they dug themselves such a hole so deep. 
I mean, at best, they could maybe get back into the play on uh, play in tournament. There's no way that the Grizzlies return to form that they had at the end of last season. There's the, no chance. At the same time, you've got this Lakers team that worked so hard to win that oh so important in season tournament. And since then, they're three and twelve. They or hang three a banner. And 10, excuse me. Did they hang a banner? They did hang a banner. Wow, a forever banner. Wow. I should say to add Jeez. future dates that they win. I know it is. It's probably the most humble thing that they've ever. Is that done. what we're going to do now? We're going to hang banners for the in-season tournament. Oh, jeez. The point being is that these teams that the Suns are fighting against and are project have been projected to fight against for this whole regular season, they're not playing so well either. And the Warriors, <laughs> welcome to having Chris Paul on your team. Uh, they just diagnosed a fracture in his hand, and he's going to have surgery. Um, yeah. The teams that I'm curious about, in good or bad way, the Clippers, who have been scorching hot good after team that right first five games with the acquisition of Harden where they just couldn't win a basketball game. I think it, it took them a minute to figure out what they had. Oh, it did. It, it took them a minute. They like they went to the grocery store and picked like five random items, and they were like, all right, let's see if we can cook something with this, and they threw it in a pot, and they didn't realize they had to put it in a certain order <laughs> or with certain amounts. They just threw it in They just the threw time. it all in, and they were like, oh, that tastes disgusting for five games, and then after five games, they were like, oh, what if we tried it differently? What if we what if we added a little less of this and a little more, and boom, good basketball team all of a sudden. It's amazing so. what happens when James Harden gets his way. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. There is that. There was never any denying he was a good player. I always thought he was better. Right. They got the better end of that deal, in my opinion. There's, it's the it's the complaining. And stuff. by the way, Philadelphia got a good end of that deal as well. It worked out for well, both the, because the second best team in the East. Tyrese Maxey ended up getting everything he deserved. He's probably going to be an All Star this year. Oh, definitely. I would think. And didn't he have a fifty point game already this season? Yes. Like, this dude is nuts. So it worked out for both sides. And but Philly could definitely go into the trade market again. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they have plenty of assets to use. To your point, though, the Clippers are a very versatile team. That's a squad that has four guys on it who are capable of winning an MVP at some point in their career. And uh, while Russell Westbrook is certainly not the player that he used to be, uh, you they know, still get a lot of value out of him. They do. And Paul George is probably their best player on any given night. And Kawhi Leonard, we know, could be a top five player in the world when healthy and at his best. And James Harden has added what you already kind of highlighted. That's a dangerous team in the West. That's a very dangerous team. Could they beat the the Nuggets? I assume, even though the Nuggets are the three seed right now, uh, I don't really count the regular season as, like, who's number one because the Timberwolves are number one right now, and I still don't view them as the best team in the West. Okay, let's do this real quick. Just a quick thought exercise. Who can the Suns beat right now? In a in a playoff series? In a, in a playoff series. All Best right, of? We'll start with the top. Seven? Seven. Okay. Minnesota. As of right now, can they beat Minnesota in a best of seven? Uh, Not without Durant. Can they beat Oklahoma City in a best of seven? I think maybe. Denver? No. Clippers? Probably not. Kings? Uh, I like the Kings. Maybe not. They'll be close. Yeah, they can beat the Mavericks. Pelicans? Yeah, they can beat the Pelicans. And just for including them because they're within the hunt right now, the Rockets? Yeah, they would beat the Rockets. Warriors? Yes. And then for the sake of including them, the Lakers? Yeah, the Lakers haven't looked good at all. So, yeah, I feel pretty confident in that right I mean, now. Now, we still got half dis- a basketball season There's left. discourse in their locker room right now. Like, is Darvin Ham going to get uh, unceremoniously sent away, per se? 
the, the state know. of the you West change coaches mid year. I don't think they would. The state of the West is is kind of weird right now. Everybody's at that phase in the season where there's there's something's not going right. Like Jonathan Kaminga of the Warriors is saying that Kerr's not using me properly, and Kerr's response is. In 15 years I played, I had 15 years where I complained about my minutes a lot. And it's like, well, yeah, everybody complains about their minutes. I'll tell I get you the this. Point. We're at the point now, because we're, what, a month-ish away from the trade deadline? It's yes. in February. It might even be late February. After the All-Star break. Um, there's a couple of teams in the West that I think would benefit from going out and acquiring players rather than, than giving some up. For instance, we talked about the Timberwolves. That's a team that could feasibly go out there and try to add to their squad, but they've already got well, a lot they, of dollars invested. What they add, though? I don't know the answer to that. But the Thunder, that's a team at the two seed who's 23-11, and 11, only two games back of the number one seed right now that's super young, tons of draft pick capital over the next few years. That's a team that you wonder, what are they going to do? That team could go and add a star player if there was one available at the trade deadline. Where I don't know who that is. Strike, but right? Yeah, and, and, and they've got open positions. They've got a ton of young guys who are, are playing at a high level right now. The real only star player that they have that you wouldn't get rid of, obviously, is Shea. They have a growing thing where a lot of people are starting to call Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chet Holmgren, and uh, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. The good Jalen Williams. They're big three. <laughs> yeah, which kind of. It, it's wor- if, if it's working the way that it is right now, what's... Yeah. What better way to compliment it than to get a, a veteran guy that knows his way around? The other team I could see adding is the Kings. That's a squad that's been mostly built around De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis the last few years. So I heard a rumor from Shams yesterday they might be in on Pascal Siakam of Toronto. Yeah, but then like an hour later he said, oh, those are done. The, conver- the, talks, are, the talks are over. <laughs> okay, Shams. He reported it and then he unreported it. Got to pay attention, basically. Buddy. Come on. Uh, but no, I could see, yeah, I could see them adding a player like that. Definitely a, a versatile wing, whether that's a three or a four. I could see the Kings doing that. So there's a lot of squads right now. Every year you see this, right? Last year it was the Kings who came out of nowhere and were at the top of the standings. The, mm-hmm. the, the Grizzlies were at the top of the standings last year. And these things these things change, but the consistent okay, but things who, that I see are the Nuggets. So who's the team that's coming out of nowhere then? The team that came out of nowhere is the Timberwolves. I I argue the Rockets. Well, they're the nine seed right now. That's they are the really nine seed, but they've nowhere. been really good at home. They've been really crappy on the road. They're like they this, improved. They're like this year's version of the Warriors. They have a really good head coach. Yeah, in Ime Adoka, right? And they're getting their they're getting their legs wet. The Warriors did do that last year. They, they sucked on the road. They were terrible, but they, they were, were good miserable. at home. And yeah, you're right. That is kind of what the Rockets are doing right now. But they're also digging themselves out of like being bottom of the barrel in the NBA yeah. category. Like They were down there with the Spurs last year. They spent a good amount of money this offseason. So Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks. You're right. They've definitely jumped up. But when I talk about came out of nowhere, I'm talking like they're all of a sudden a force in the NBA. That's the Timberwolves. That feels more like Oklahoma City to me. Because I think Minnesota... We knew how aggressive they were last year in trying to put something together and be in this West conversation that they're in right now. Oklahoma City, man, they were a 10 seed last year. And they were starting to get it together with all their young guys. And then they didn't make a really big move this offseason. Yeah, that's fair. It was just the same core, the same coach. They've had Sam Presti forever, man. Yeah, Sam Presti was the guy that drafted Kevin Durant, if I'm not mistaken. He's doing a really good job. Right? Kevin Durant? No. Sam Presti came from, I want to say, somewhere else. Anyway, okay, I don't know. You, okay. I don't remember the exact history of their GM. But, All right, sorry. Um, 
But no, I I see your point. Going from ten to two is more impressive than the Timberwolves going from eight to one. Here's the difference for me. I thought the Oklahoma City Thunder were on this trajectory already. Like I saw them being a young team that yeah. was coming into their own. That was yeah, gonna, that's true. Shea was going to get better. Chet was going to get better, and they were all going to grow together. I saw that as a, as a possibility. The Timberwolves last year added all these big names. Rudy Gobert being the big one. And we all thought, wow, that's all of a sudden, like, that's like a super team over there in, in Minnesota. And what did they do? They got the eight seed. They were mad. not really that good. They were. Yeah. Eh. And so for them to all of a sudden jump up to the number one and to be what we kind of thought they might have been last year. That's more impressive to me. That's more out of nowhere than I kind of expected the Thunder to grow within this is the, the last, way that the Grizzlies did. Last point I want to make on this. They kind of remind me of the Suns from 20 and 21. Who does? The Timberwolves do. How so? Nobody's really bought into them yet, have they? But they just keep... I haven't. But they keep yet. winning. Yeah. They keep playing well. Their offense is good. Their defense is good. Before you know it, we might be looking at this Timberwolves team in the Western Conference Finals. Like you, you the could Suns be. in 20 and 21. The difference for me is 2021 for the Suns was coming off of the 8-0 run in the bubble when they had no expectations. But they didn't have Chris Paul. No, but it was the momentum creator. At the end yeah. of a previous season. You want to talk about but the Cardinals there, right there was, now and, and facing the Seahawks sure. and, the, and the Eagles last week? Yeah. There's good reason to build momentum at the end of a season going into another one. And that's a prime example what happened in 2021. My opinion. I just felt like for that entire year, it felt like cautious optimism with that Phoenix team. And then they finished as the number two seed in the West. Yeah. And it's like, are we going to believe in this team now? They're good. Let's believe in them now. That's kind of how I feel about Minnesota. Anyway. Some big games in the NFL this weekend, Steve. No, huge. And, uh, of course... Playoff ramifications. Of course, the NFC South has to be involved. But we'll get into it and around the NFL next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports. Meet local sports leader. Mitch and Steve go around the NFL on Arizona Sports Saturday. We'll try and stretch this out as most as we can because there's not a ton of games in the NFL that really hit... Because a lot of the teams have clinched and there's only a few clinching scenarios left. Like the entire NFC South still needs to get figured out. That that continues to be a miserable division to watch. You've got a couple of wildcard slots up for grabs in the AFC. The NFC has one slot left as well in the wild card. But for the most part, everything's kind of figured out, Steve. And um, we're going to figure out on our own. Who's going to make those final spots? Ready? Yeah, let's do it. So the Ravens are the one seed. They host the Steelers today. Today. Who need to win if they still want a shot at a playoff spot. Steelers. Mason Rudolph against Tyler Huntley, by the way. Yeah, not the greatest quarterback matchup. Steelers 9-7, and seven, by the way, so they could be a double-digit team. They've clinched the Tomlin doesn't lose Isn't season. that amazing? Again. That's ridiculous. He's never had a losing season in Pittsburgh. Is Which, he a Hall of Famer? Uh, yes. He won Easily. a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl. He won two, didn't he? No, just the one. Just the one? Just the one. Oh, I thought the Steelers... Oh, no, that was... I don't know. I don't he, know he, he was the head coach of the Steelers when they beat the Cardinals. Well, yeah, I remember that one. I thought there were two for some reason. They went to the one against Green Bay, but that was okay. Aaron Rodgers. Gotcha. A little fuzzy. <laughs> Anything else to say on this? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> That's about it. No, I, I, I don't love the quarterback matchup. I, it's funny. You look around the NFL this week, and there's so many quarterbacks that are out 
whether it's injuries that have been, existed all season long, like mm-hmm. a Joe Burrow or, you know, like Justin Herbert's been out for a while. Uh, but then you look at all these teams that are just not going to play their starters in week 18. Yeah. Says, it still feels weird to say week 18, by the way. Um, yeah, it's going to be an ugly week if you're just looking at quarterback matchups. So try not to look at it too much. Steelers with a win increase their playoff odds. I think they would then get the six seed, if I'm not mistaken. And then one that really matters for these two teams because it could decide the AFC South. Texans and Colts play later tonight in Indianapolis. And either one of those teams is going to be a double-digit win season for them as well. They're both 9-7. and The Texans. I know. The Texans. We thought that the Cardinals were going to have the top two picks in the draft. The Texans were going to be garbage again. C.J. Stroud had other plans, I guess. C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryans. He's been fantastic, by the way. Everything about the Texans this year has been such... And I know the Cardinals have their pick, but it's been such a welcome surprise to see them play as well as they've had. And what are the Colts doing at 9-7? and seven? Shane Steichen's been really With good, With their man. quarterback situation where Anthony Richardson, who looked pretty good as a dual-threat guy the first couple weeks of the year, he goes down with constant concussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been out for the majority of the year. Gardner Minshew, career backup, comes in to save the franchise. And now either one of these teams could be looking at their 10th win of the year. And maybe the winner of this game gets the division, too, because, and we'll jump ahead here, to tomorrow, when the Jaguars play the Titans, this is why it matters to Jacksonville. They win and they get the division. Easy. If they lose, there's a chance that they could not be in the postseason at all. And I'm bearing the lead. Trevor Lawrence is iffy to go on Sunday. Yeah, and I'm iffy on the Jaguars, to be honest with you. Me too. I, I felt a lot better about them at the beginning of the season. I've cooled significantly. I thought they finally surrounded Trevor Lawrence with the amount of weapons he would need to be dynamic. His season is not all that impressive. Even though he's at 3,700 yards, 19 touchdowns to 12 picks is not that good. Not great. Uh, especially for a guy who is as prolific as he was in college and then coming into the NFL. I thought he might have like a Peyton Manning-type Career where not not in total, but still having a bad rookie year and then flipping the script. This was supposed to be the year, yeah. Though in a lot of people's minds, and Calvin Ridley hasn't really been all that good of an addition as I thought he would be. It's, I'm just not that high on the Jaguars, but you're playing the five and eleven Titans, and they certainly have dropped off the map in the last couple. Seasons. Let me put it this way: the Jaguars were eight and three at one point, so they went one and four in their last five. And now they're staring at what could be it for them this year. DeAndre Hopkins had a pretty good year, by the way. Uh, over 1,000 yards receiving. Yeah, six touchdowns. And that's without him being, I don't think they have a very good quarterback situation at all in Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill was, had fallen off. Will Levis? Eh, Maybe. Eh. Maybe. He's got a lot of moxie, if yeah. nothing else. All right, let's tackle these uh, NFC South games. So, Saints... And Buccaneers have the best shots. Buccaneers is a win and in. They play the Panthers in Carolina. Saints, they host the Falcons. Their win and nothing's guaranteed, basically. The Falcons could win and the Buccaneers could lose and the Falcons could jump Tampa and New Orleans. This this division sucks, first of all. Let me get that out An of the way. An 8-9 and nine Falcons team could make the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, I don't love that. That feels very 8-8 eight and eight Cardinals making it to the Super uh, Bowl. But they made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they did, and we'll, we'll take it. Um, 
Yeah, looking at these two games, the, the one that stands out to me, obviously the Buccaneers are facing the Panthers, the worst team in football. So that one you could probably more easily chalk up as a win. Baker Mayfield has been a sensation this season it's in the way that we kind of thought he might have been early in his career and just wasn't. He's 100 uh, yards from 4,000 passing. Yeah, and 28 touchdowns is nothing to scoff at. 10 interceptions isn't that many. Uh, Rashad White, former ASU guy, has certainly evolved into one of the better lead backs in the NFL. He's, what, 85 yards from 1,000 yards on the ground? Yeah. That would be pretty good. So I I think that the Buccaneers obviously are sitting pretty. Now, you want to go back to that Falcons-Saints game. I just don't want to see the Falcons in the postseason, whether it's the quarterback situation. I've been frustrated with their offense all year long. I thought that uh, Bijan Robinson would be much more heavily featured. I realize he could get to 1,000 rushing yards in this game. I thought that was a stud guy, but Tyler Algier, to his credit, has really shown that he deserved to be getting some of those touches. It's just really weird when you spend a lot of inventory on top offensive weapons and then they don't get used. There's it's like, of- what, the fourth pick? How high did they pick Bijan? Bijan was seventh. Seventh. Kyle Pitts was fourth, and then Drake London was eighth. And they... They barely get used. Yeah. It's crazy. There's a lot of talk around Arthur Smith's job status, Dennis Allen. Well, if he makes the playoffs, I don't know. Maybe you keep him around. I mean, there's a lot of questions around a lot of these teams because they're just they're just so middle of the road. It's kind of sad to see. Uh, games that they they matter and they don't at the same time. The winner of Eagles Giants slash Cowboys Commanders, I only bring it up because the winner gets the division. And the Cowboys have the advantage in that right now. They're yeah, playing the Commanders. The Cardinals really played spoiler in that one in Philadelphia last week. They would have been one step closer to winning the NFC East had they won that game. The Cardinals had other plans, mm-hmm. obviously. So it had to wait another week. The Eagles situation gets a little bit muddier. Uh, they have not been playing all that well lately in Philadelphia. Nope. Uh, not I really certainly- all season. I'd still pick them over the Giants um, in, in a one-to-one matchup, but... I don't think that the Eagles are on as solid footing as the Cowboys are right now. And the Cowboys have the easier matchup, whereas the Giants have been kind of frisky this year. The Tommy DeVito story DeVito, nice, right? But Tyrod Taylor, he almost led them back in Philadelphia. So in East Rutherford, anything can happen. And then the last one that probably has the highest stakes attached to it, Bill's Dolphins in Miami Sunday night. Winner gets the AFC East. Loser could either be the sixth seed or not in the playoffs at all, if you're the Bills. Yeah, two high-powered offenses. Uh, Josh Allen, certainly one of the more capable, versatile quarterbacks in the league. Tua Tungavailoa, 4,500 yards almost this season already. So he could he could end the year close to 5,000. That's unbelievable. It's insane. Um, Tyreek Hills had a heck of a week. His house caught on fire. <laughs> there was that. Yeah. There was that whole thing. Uh, so... That's certainly the biggest game of the week. I'm glad that that's the night game on Sunday. Um, and that one's at Miami. I'm going to lean Miami in that one. And then last one, because when we come back on Saturday, I'm assuming some things will have happened. How many coaching openings will be made? Ooh, good question. After the Sunday. How Usually there's Monday? eight, like seven or eight, like a fourth of the league. So, Usually it has no coach. So the Raiders have an interim. The Panthers have an interim. The Chargers have an interim. I am watching the Commanders closely. Yeah, I think Ron Rivera is going to go. I think if the Bills miss the playoffs, I think there's going to be some discussion around there. And then I think this NFC South mess. And then there's one more. New England. Ah, yeah, no. 
You don't think, think you so. don't think so? No. I don't think Bill's going anywhere. Okay. I think they want to give Bill the opportunity with that top pick he's going to have, whether it's number two, number three, something like that. I think they want to give him the opportunity to go get a quarterback of his liking and try to try to find the next Tom Brady. Obviously not saying they're going to win six Super Bowls or whatever. but And then another one I'm keeping an eye on, Tennessee. Not necessarily because I think Vrabel's done a bad job, but... I like they, Vrabel. They moved on from John Robinson before the beginning of the year. The GM, yeah. They, made, they cut a lot of cap space, moved on from a lot of key guys. I wonder if Vrabel is the next casualty in Tennessee. I don't think that the Jets would fire Robert Sala. Oh, they've already they've already came out and said, no. I know, no, I know. I know, what the, I know what they say, but... I do think that this next season is going to be very interesting for them because it's do or die time for a lot of the brass over in New York for the Jets. And Aaron Rodgers plays a huge role in how all of that goes down. This is what happens when you tie your chain to Rodgers. So I'm going to say like six, seven openings probably. Six or seven. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I think that's a fair assumption. Schefter said there could be as many as 10 a couple of weeks ago. I mean... Anytime you say as many as, that's you just saying like, I don't know. <laughs> could be, that's a good point. Could be five. Could be as many as 12. <laughs> could be this many. And if I'm wrong, no one's going to hold me accountable. That's our look around the NFL. Let's focus back now on the local NFL game happening this weekend. Yeah. Particularly one position that the Cardinals need to address this offseason. Are we going to get any closer to answers in this game on Sunday? We'll find out next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, thanks for spending part of your weekend here with us. We certainly appreciate it. Tomorrow's Cardinals game, the last of the season against the Seattle Seahawks, is going to be interesting for a couple of different reasons. One thing that I'm keeping an eye on, though, Mitch, is how much and how often the Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray, is throwing to his receivers. I bring that up because it has been a low point for them throughout the course of the year, whether it's Hollywood Brown being injured like he has been. Uh, really, ever since the loss of DeAndre Hopkins, you don't really have a clear-cut number one wide receiver. Yeah, And they've struggled when throwing two receivers specifically because Trey McBride has evolved into the primary offensive option in the past game. And I think that's, that's fine. That's a good thing. I think that Trey McBride has really taken a step forward, a leap forward, really, this season. But it leaves you wondering, it leaves you with a little bit more to be desired when it comes to the passing game to wide receivers. Michael Wilson's had his moments, certainly, but hasn't been fully healthy all year. Hollywood Brown, we talked about, missing time with injury. There's a lot of questions that come with this receiver group, and especially in a year where you're looking at a high draft pick, possibly as high as number two overall or number four overall or something like that, and Marvin Harrison Jr. being the top pick in the draft, the top player that's not a quarterback, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of scrutiny over what the Cardinals choose to do in the offseason with their wide receiver position. I was looking back. I was trying to remember what game it was where, yeah, it was this one. There were 15 receptions by tight ends in the Cardinals game against the Niners. 15 receptions and 16 targets to tight ends. To tight ends. Receptions by receivers in that game, four. And there were several more targets. There was Zach Pascoe was targeted four times, didn't have a catch. Michael Wilson, three, not a catch. Rondo Moore, three for two, or two for three. And then... Greg Dortch was two for three. 
So the amount of times that a wide receiver was targeted in that Niners game really caught my attention because it was basically non-existent. And then the next week against the Bears, leading receivers, James Conner, Greg Dortch, Amari DiMercato, Trey McBride, and then Rondale Moore. So in the top five, only two of them receivers. This past week, though, was probably the closest that we've been to like a a return to using your wide receivers, right? Rondale Moore, three for 26, Michael Wilson, four for 35, and Greg Dortch, seven for 82 against the Eagles. But granted, that was a big game for their rushing attack more than it was their passing attack. And with no Hollywood Brown, and with not really a ton of height at the receiver position outside of Michael Wilson and Zach Pascal, Trey McBride really is your best option right now. But how reliably can you say, oh, the tight end is just going to be our best receiver moving forward. No, you need a good outside threat along with them. Yeah, and I realized they were without their starting quarterback for the first eight or nine games, whatever it was, nine games. Yeah, but Josh Dobbs still um, made it work in spurts. Yeah, so you look at the total season, Trey McBride has 78 catches. He leads the team by a lot, by 27, over Marquise Hollywood-Brown, who, again, has missed time. He's got 51 catches. Rondale Moore, I don't know if I'm... I'm maybe ready for the Rondell Moore experiment to be over. I'm I'm thinking he doesn't make it past his rookie deal. And I'm not I'm not saying like this is a guy you got to go out and cut. I just don't know if I'm investing a ton in him. I, I know that they tried to use him almost in like a Debo Samuel type role this year, where like he's running the ball sometimes it's, as a it back. Just, it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, I just I just haven't seen a lot of explosiveness out of him, and that's supposed to be the thing that he's good at, right? Um. And so I just I just don't know about the Rondell Moore experiment. There's not a lot of size there, obviously. Michael Wilson I've liked a lot when he plays. The problem is he's missed some time in his rookie year, and and that was certainly an issue at Stanford as well. Um, Greg Dortch, I don't want to be left out of the conversation. Certainly his last week was the best of all of them this he's year. He's been the bright spot of the receiver room, in my opinion. Yeah, but for a total on the year, he's got 22 catches. Can he really be the bright spot? When he's only got 22 catches on the year. Well, he barely gets offensive reps. That's the thing. That's just it. It's that he doesn't get the offensive reps until somebody gets hurt. I feel like when he's given opportunities, like the seven targets that he got last week in Philadelphia, he capitalizes on them. Seven catches, 82 yards. He's what Dennis Gardeck was. Those past few years before they just gave him a regular spot on the defense. Great production when he plays, but doesn't play all the time. And mostly special teams. Right. Yeah, we I think we'd even talked about that at one point. Is Dennis Gardeck might be the best pass rusher on this team right now. He just isn't in that role all that often. But he's productive. And Greg Dortch, for a time last year when DeAndre Hopkins was out with his suspension, Greg Dortch led the league, led the NFL in separation. And he's that kind of guy. He, I actually see the explosiveness out of him that I wish I saw out of Rondell Moore. And he gets the separation. The other thing I love about Dorch, and you see it last week in Philadelphia in particular, he handles the football every time he touches it as if it's a punt return. Like, I will not go down. I will get the extra yard. Mm -hmm. I refuse to be tackled. And that's the kind of motivation, that's the kind of uh, mindset that I want in my wide receivers. Not just the, all right, catch and get out of bounds or the catch and go down or am I going to go over the middle? I'm not sure if I want to get hit. Greg Dorch would run through a brick wall. And that's why I want him more involved. But you still have to figure that they're going to attack free agency, right? I would think. So Marquise Brown is one of those free agents. He made 2.9, close to 3 million this past year. 
Let's see what SpotTrack has as his market value. They calculate that he could make four years, 59.5, and average to about just under 15 a year. You going to pay that for Marquise Brown? He's coming off of his worst season of his career. In terms of yardage, 574 yards is the least. Now, I understand injuries are a part of this, right? But he played in 14 games this year, which is more than he played in in 2022. It's, right. it's more than he's played in, in. Well, it's the same he played in in his rookie year. So I don't know that the ceiling is a ton higher for Marquise Hollywood Brown. Here's an interesting question, though, because part of the reason they brought him in was because of his familiarity with Kyler Murray. Yep. They're seemingly... Very, very close friends, mm-hmm. uh, college teammates and all those things. Uh, how would Kyler feel if you decided not to bring back Hollywood Brown? Does that play a role in this conversation? Well, I can tell you what Kyler said on the record in regards to whether or not he would want Hollywood back. Yeah, um, I am hoping he comes back. <laughs> uh, you know, I let them do their thing, but... Uh, uh, that's yeah. I would love for him to be back for sure. And I can tell you what Hollywood Brown said on the record regarding that. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I hear good things. You know, from JG, Monty, everybody. You know, um, but yeah, I, w- I would want to be back here. And I can tell you what I think about it. I don't know if he's worth four sixty, especially when Is that you have fifteen a year. Yeah, especially when you haven't gotten the full amount of production out of him in the two short years that he's been here. I get it. He's Kyler's guy, and having a good, a good one-two is important. But you need your one on the field, and he's not been. Two seasons, 26 games by my count. Uh, that would be 118 catches, I think. 118 catches over two seasons. So you're talking roughly a little under 60 per season. He had three touchdowns last year, four this year. So you're talking three and a half touchdowns per season. That's not a number one. No. Sorry. Not going to get paid like a number one by this team. And and I understand that a lot of this is caveat by injury. You know, it's, I know he wasn't at his, at his best. He wasn't at full strength and he didn't have Kyler for half the year. I I get that there's a lot of extenuating factors here, but uh, I think that he's not a number one. Now I think he could come back. Yeah. But not at four fifteen four for fifteen a year. No. I wouldn't do that. But I think he could come back and they could go draft another wide receiver very high, whether it's Marvin Harrison or somebody else. That LSU kid looks pretty good too. Um could they do that? Could they go and sign a wide receiver that they view as a number one and bring him back as well as a number two option? Possibly he might have to sign a prove it deal. After coming off of a five, almost six hundred yard season, he might have to prove it. Next year. I tell you what, I'm looking at the list of free agent wide receivers according to Spot Track. I feel like there are some we can rule out, like Mike Evans. Uh, that'd be expensive. Curtis Samuel. I feel like that's a reasonable one, though, right? Um, might be more reasonable. He yeah. made 11 not a lot of size there either, though. He made 11 and a half this past year, but I don't know. He was pretty reliable. Here are some guys that I wonder, like, could you, could you dabble with? Kendrick Bourne. Problem is, is he's coming off an ACL tear. In New England. Yeah, I don't love that. And going into free agency. And New England doesn't have a ton of options either. No. They might want him back. They don't. I don't, I don't know. Calvin Ridley's going to be a free agent. He Would didn't impress me in Jacksonville. Would you take a flyer on him, though? Give him another one-year deal? He's tall. He's not a number one. This is one that I don't think is going to happen, but I'm curious to see how his market plays out. Michael Pittman Jr. in Indianapolis. Former SC receiver. 
Maybe, but I, again, I don't see him as a number one. No, there's not a lot of number ones out there. Well, uh, and the ones that are are expensive. Here's what I'm getting to. Okay. Would you pay for, granted, we know the history at this point, T. Higgins, who's going to be entering his age 25 season? I might. I've always liked the fit of would T. You, Higgins. Would you pay four and 60? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. So, like, if you don't get Marvin Harrison Jr., would you go out and pay for T. Higgins instead? The problem is, yeah, I might. I might. The problem is the Cardinals have a bunch of guys right now. Mm -hmm. Like, Greg George can play in the NFL. Michael Wilson can obviously play in the NFL. Marquise Hollywood Brown can play in the NFL. Rondell Moore can play in the NFL. The problem is they don't have a number one. They don't have a main guy. They've got a bunch of guys that I feel comfortable having 40 to 60 catches a season. They don't have anybody I feel good about 75-plus. And they're not going to go and overpay for Mike Evans. There's no way, right? It depends on, I don't know, does Mike Evans want to be a Buccaneer the rest of his life? That plays a role. Because remember, Larry Fitzgerald had several opportunities to leave Arizona. Mike Evans has. he wanted to be a Cardinal. Mike Evans has the Super Bowl ring now. True. So maybe that doesn't weigh on him as much. I would love to have Mike Evans. I'm sure Kyler Murray would love to have Mike Evans. Did they? They didn't cross over at A&M, did they? No, I don't think so. Mike Evans is 30. Yeah, yeah, he's much older. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was him and Manziel at A&M, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, that's what it was. But, like, the rest of the receivers out there in free agency, you'd be basically risking it for a younger guy and giving them an opportunity to succeed. Like Sure. Like, there's LaVisca Chenault, who was the top player out of Colorado, but has... Is already going to be on his third team by the time he hits free agency. Chase Claypool is going to be on his fourth team by the time he hits free agency. Van Jefferson, second team by the time he hits free agency. You know, there's like there's not a ton of great go and get your names like T. Higgins outside of T. Higgins and Michael Pittman and Mike Evans. You know, the Cardinals are also in a position where they have to be looking at the trade market. If you're going to look for a number one ride receiver, are you going to look around the league at somebody like a uh, Stephon Diggs playing for the Bills right now? That where, name has been rumored around. I don't know by who, but like if they're not in the playoff scenario, if they're if they're underperforming, he's got a long contract. There's a lot of money tied to it, but that's a guy that I could see them being like, you know what? If we can get a number one wide receiver in the trade market, maybe that's a possibility. I guess we'll find out. And maybe he's tired of it being cold in Buffalo. Who knows? Coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday, it's called Footnotes. It's all the things we didn't get to so far on the show today, but we think you need to hear about this. And it's coming up next. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. This is the portion of the show where we get to all the other stories that we wanted to hit on. As I just really quickly write down some numbers here for my memory. There we go. I want to start with this. Speaking of numbers and memories, uh, we got a message in our um, in our group chat at work. Uh, anniversary today. Oh, just saying, January, your anniversary? No, 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 no. Oh. not mine, not mine, sorry. January 6, 2014. Oh. Headline, Arizona Sports Expands will be simulcast on 98.7 FM and 620 AM. Oh, the day we went to FM. And you were an employee during this time. Yeah, I remember that day. I remember that day because I was a producer on the station uh, when we were 620 AM. And I remember driving to work that day and tuning into the station and it wasn't there. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they simulcasted that first day, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, so I was listening, and I remember I flipped over to the FM, 
And I just remember hearing how clear everybody's voice was. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, we're all under a microscope now. Like any little mistake and you will hear it. FM is just a whole nother. It's a whole nother animal. It's a whole nother beast. It's it's a different. It's frequency. It's not amplitude. Right. And so I remember that day for sure. When we flipped over to FM, that was a big deal. Most sports stations around the country, you look at some of the big ones, like you look at WFAN in New York or like some of the big ones, they're not FM stations. They're still AM. AM still dominates when it comes to talk radio. Which is crazy because FM, and I mean like it's it's irrelevant most part nowadays because there's so much with streaming and video capturing. Sure. Like radio is becoming a lot less of purely just an audio thing and it's becoming a multi-platformed um Medium. It's multi-platform now. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, look, we got cameras in our room. You can live stream us on the Arizona Sports app right now. That was the day that I remember I figured out we were a big deal. I was like, man, big FM, time, man. holy cow. Big time, man. People are going to be able to hear us in parking garages now. <laughs> <laughs> you know how those AM signals, they, they don't no, make I it into exa- the parking garage. I know exactly what you're talking about. You go in a tunnel and then it's yeah, like, it just disappears. That's all you hear. Um... Pass along this too uh, from yesterday. Uh, former Sun Devil ex Valade uh, is getting signed by the Jets through 2025 off of their practice squad. So it sounds like he's going to be on an NFL team for a couple of more years. Unfortunately, he plays for the Jets. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> but at least he can be influenced by whatever the hell Aaron Rodgers has to talk about that day. Um, all right, let's talk about some Aaron uh, Rodgers' most inspirational teammate. I saw that. Did you see that? Teammates put him most inspirational. <laughs> what are we doing? He didn't even play this year. All right. Well, he did for like five seconds. Okay. I want to start with some exciting Coyotes news because, first of all, the Coyotes have been exciting this year. Um, They don't play tonight. They play tomorrow. But they did announce today that uh, forward Dylan Gunther has been recalled from Tucson on an emergency basis. 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 Gunther was drafted only a couple of years ago, and there's a lot of love around this guy. He's played really well for the uh, Roadrunners of the AHL. And I know that a lot of fans are excited about him getting recalled right now. When you have a young team like them that's in a perceived rebuild, having opportunities and giving playing time to those young guys that you draft highly in the draft, that's a big deal. Because that goes, that shows your fan base what you're devoting yourself to for years to come. They seem to be going in the right direction now, too. Like, oh, definitely. Bill Armstrong came into this organization understanding he was going to need to rebuild it, and they just feel ahead of schedule. Oh, they've beat very good teams. They're beating teams that have recently won championships. They're yeah. stacking wins on top of wins. Yeah, they're definitely on the right trajectory right now. I mean, they've got 40 points on the year. I think that's the second wild card spot right now, if I'm not mistaken. Playoff Coyotes. 19 perhaps. wins. Like they've they've been frisky this year. It's wow. good to see. Clayton Keller's going back to the All-Star game, his third consecutive, fourth in his career. That's a franchise record, by the way, if I'm not mistaken. And then the president and CEO Javier Gutierrez came on these airwaves yesterday and said they're on the precipice of announcing a location that they will attack for their next big arena plan. And that'd be good. They made it clear that it's going to be something that they're looking for private that's already been zoned. Um, I know there's a lot of speculation of that area just off of the 101 over by uh, Desert Ridge area. They're like, for the love of God, we can't take this to a public vote. We cannot. Vote. No. <laughs> we no, can't I mean, let the public decide. I know you're doing it as a joke, but they, they can't. They can't. I'm no. sure the NHL is not after how it went in Tempe. No, definitely not. So that's what's going on in Coyote Land. What do you got? Uh, in baseball, the Diamondbacks did make a couple of smaller moves this week that I don't think should be ignored. 
Tucker Barnhart has experience as a catcher at Major League Baseball. Uh, they signed him to a minor league deal, but you and I both know they're looking for a backup catcher yes. at a reasonable cost. And Barnhart was a major leaguer yeah. last year. And a pretty reasonable offensive-minded catcher, too. And so I think he could compete in spring training for that opportunity with Jose Herrera, a couple of other guys that they've added. They've got some good minor league catcher options in the offseason that could compete for that spot. Mm-hmm. Kevin Newman, also a guy from the Pirates organization that you might know, uh, mostly a shortstop, middle infield, right-handed bat. I feel like he's probably the counter option to like a Jace Peterson, who they'll carry over into next year as well. So a right-handed hitting backup infielder to occasionally spell guys like Perdomo and Lawler and Marte. I like them. I like the moves. Um, I don't know if they're going to be like game breakers or difference no. makers per no, se. No, these are minor moves. They're to good. Be, to they're good certain. little depth moves to make. Did you see that a kid beat Tetris? Oh, and you know, they like the Tetris. The, they didn't give him the prize money or no? What no, was no. It? it was like the Tetris video game from like the N sixty four back in the nineties. I don't know. Yeah, maybe the eighties. I don't know. Yeah, he like and set the he world record, beat it. right? No, he got to the end of the game. Oh what he got he he played Tetris. I thought there was no end to Tetris. He, I, thought, I didn't think that was possible. No, nobody did until he did it. He got so high that the counter stopped counting his score and the block stopped falling. And okay. the kid freaks out. And what I found hilarious was this is one of the oh, British newscasts. This is the newscaster. Her reaction to the kid beating Tetris. As a mother, I would just say step away from the screen, go outside, get some fresh air. Oh, come on. Beating Tetris is not a life goal. Speaking of fresh air, let's get a look at the weather. (laughs) She was like, go touch grass, kid. (laughs) Ma'am? Ma'am? Ma'am, do you understand what he just did? (sighs) I just want to know how long it took him. I don't know, his whole life, probably. Kids like 13. But I mean, the single run, though, like that's got to be an hour plus commitment, right? Tetris. Yeah, the CEO of Tetris put out a statement like congratulating him, like that he beat. I didn't know Tetris had a CEO to begin with, but it's almost like, <laughs> it's yeah, like a whole business. Money. <laughs> yeah. And this newscaster, she's just smiling into the camera. She's like, go touch grass. Because uh, you respectfully, need to. shut up, lady. I love that. Shut up. Uh, speaking of funny, did you see that? I don't know this guy, Jersey Jerry. I guess he's a barstool guy. He does like a different challenge every week. And this week, his challenge was he was going to use a golf simulator and hit golf shots until he made a hole in one. Okay. It took him a while, but he did it. How long? Instead of a hole in one, it was a hole in 2,627. It took him 2,627 shots to hit the hole in one. On a simulator? And there were a couple. I went back and watched some of the quote-unquote highlights of this. There were a couple that got within inches of the cup. Oh, man. And you have to imagine how devastating it is because, dude, imagine you're a golfer. Imagine 2,000 strokes. It's a lot. I mean, swing a golf club that many times and you will not only cramp up, but I mean, he had masseuses coming in to like give him break massages. It's like how many rounds of 18? I can't even do the math right now. It's insane. It's insane. 2,627 shots before he finally hit the hole in quote unquote one. That's ridiculous. Not really a hole in one. Hey, can I mention one more thing before we get out? Yeah, 100%. Ricky Rubio, salute to you, you single year son. Um, Called it a career. 
just a couple of days ago. He played basketball more than professional basketball for more than half of his lifetime because he started at age 14 in Spain. That's crazy. That's I mean, insane. he's probably just done with NBA. Maybe he'll play in Spain. But uh, Ricky Rubio, salute to you. A great career. And thank you for your time as a son. You really helped reignite this franchise. As for calling it quits, that's going to do it for us here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks so much for you for listening. Thanks to Trev behind the glass. My co-host is Mitch Vareldis. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday.